Enneagram, building depth and connection and understanding. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, Rachel Pritz is joining the show today to share her heart around helping people grow and develop into their full potential. She discovered Enneagram about eight years ago and has leveraged it to help her know herself better and now utilizes it in a lot of her client projects to help people connect on a deeper level and get a better understanding of their inner being. She tells some great stories to help us really see the difference in Enneagram and how it complements other assessments, but really stands in a category of its own, getting to the why behind behaviors. Rachel, I am excited to dig into Enneagram today. I love tools that help us discover ourselves at a deeper level and understand better how to communicate with those around us. Who doesn't, right? So I know Enneagram does this. I've taken the Enneagram. I've never had the chance to really do a deep dive, so I'm excited to do that today. Let's start with you sharing what is Enneagram and how is it different from other discovery or assessment tools. Many of our listeners probably have some favorites like DISC or Clifton Strengths, right? So give us the goods on what is Enneagram and really how it stands out or complements those other tools. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I have done all of them, it feels like. I mean, there's a lot out there, but it feels like I've done a lot of them. And Enneagram was the first one that really spoke to me, but it took a little time. I'm a little skeptical about all of them, really, when I look at it. But I think they all give us some information, which I think is really important for us to take the pieces of information that make sense. I'm also certified in DISC, so I encourage them to look at the part of it that they really don't like or they maybe disagree with and to really dig in deeper to that because it's probably where there's some blind spots and some opportunities, probably the biggest opportunities for us to look at. And I think that's true of the Enneagram as well. The parts that hurt us the most are likely the ones that we have really big opportunities in. So essentially, the Enneagram is just nine archetypes of people, sort of a worldview of how you move through the world. It's a combination of nature versus nurture. So we kind of combine those two. It's been around for a really long time, kind of got the rap of being a religious tool. I do believe it's a spiritual tool. I wouldn't call it religious. So essentially, what we believe to be true about how it came about was thousands of years, there were thought leaders of their time, hanging out from all different religious backgrounds, just sort of talking about observations around people. So here are some ways that we're seeing people behave. Here's the deeper reason why they're behaving this way. And then here's the psychology before anyone even knew what the heck the word psychology meant. Psychology is a pretty young science. So, you know, they were kind of digging into that. And then in the 1950s, some people got a hold of it in the psychology community as that was starting to ramp up and started to really notice this thing had some legs. Hey, there's some stuff here that really makes a lot of sense as we're connecting it with human psychology. So it's kind of deeply rooted in historical observation, which I love that piece because I think the art of observation is something we've lost with so much data and information at our fingertips. And I think it's important for people to really observe things as well and reflect on them. And then it's combined with modern day psychology, which is really cool. So we're still just continuing to build it. Lots of therapists use it for self-awareness. 
For me personally, I find it to be the best self-awareness tool I've found so far. I'm always open to anything else that builds that self-awareness. And the reason why is because it's not a behavior-based tool. So many other tools, strengths, disc, based on behaviors that we know about ourselves typically or someone's given us feedback about our behaviors. What we don't know and what the Enneagram looks for is the why behind the behavior. What's the motivation behind that behavior? And as I've coached teams and individuals over the last four or five years, I've noticed something to be true, and that is that behaviors actually rarely match what's going on inside. So what their internal world is saying to them, what the trigger was for that external behavior, when you really dig in deep with people, the behavior doesn't match what's going on inside. When you really have those deep conversations, it's like, whoa, that's where that behavior came from. I had no idea. I actually just thought you were a jerk. So, you know, human beings weren't born jerks, you know, that's not who we are. And so it's really interesting to me to dig in deeper and understand the why behind people's behaviors. And rarely do we know that about ourselves. We don't know why we're behaving the way we are, or we would change our bad behaviors. We don't mm-hmm. want to behave that way. So that's what I think is really powerful about it, is it, it really is that next layer, that deeper conversation around the why behind the actual behavior. You mentioned at first being skeptical of Enneagram in the beginning. Do you remember your first response to Enneagram and then how the value of Enneagram has evolved as you've dug into it, used it yourself and worked with clients, just kind of setting the stage for somebody that might go dig into it. And if they don't go deep enough, they might stay at this level. Like what was your story in diving deeper and seeing that deeper value? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I am a nine and we happen to have a bit of a stubborn streak. So even with some of the other tools I had taken in my corporate job, I would take them, I would take some information from them and I would kind of throw them in the desk drawer. Like, okay, great. I feel a little boxed in by this. I feel like I'm more than this particular thing. You know, all the things that we hear in the coaching world and the development world. And then I started to hear it everywhere. I mean, it was like everywhere I went, every book, every podcast I listened to, they were talking about Enneagram. I'm like, what the heck is this thing? And this was, you know, about eight years ago. And so I decided I was going to commit to just digging in a little bit deeper. When I looked at my results, I had tested as a three and I read a lot about the three that made some sense. I was in a huge period of growth at the time. I'd just gotten promoted. So there were things in that moment that made sense. But when I looked at who I am as a whole person and who I've been most of my life, and I really dove in deep, I discovered I was a nine. And so there's a lot of mistyping, I think, that happens here, which also, I think, creates some of the skepticism when we read Mm. some of the things that don't add up for us and don't make sense. Mm -hmm. So with the Enneagram, I highly recommend that people explore all nine of the types. It's what I had to do to discover that I was a nine. Tests can point us in the right direction. So sometimes I'll give a client a test to start off with so we can get an idea of maybe where they land. But then I help coach them through maybe spaces they can reflect on and kind of dig in a little bit deeper. So for me personally, I think the skepticism dissolved as I gained more knowledge and just started watching it come to life within my life. And looking back at my past and some of the decisions I have made and even sports I played was so interesting to look at from the Enneagram lens. So yeah, I mean, I was the skeptic for sure. There's no doubt about it. And I go into groups where there are a few people in the room that are skeptical. It's really awesome to see them 
at the end of the group when they aren't the skeptic. And now they're the one that's like, oh my gosh, you got to tell me more about this. And I want to know about this. It's really fun to see that evolve, you know, over a day or two with a group of people. And I think you made a great point that is universal. Tests or assessments can point us in the right direction, but might not be fully true. So we have to research and we have to discern. And so I love that you shared that story with anything that we're leveraging as leaders or utilizing for ourselves, taking just this one report at face value and the suggested next steps for how we communicate might not be exactly right. And so I love that uncovering just a deeper understanding, I think is a really powerful takeaway. So you said DISC is focused on behavior, which a lot of other tools, like there are other tools like DISC, and then Enneagram is the why behind the behavior. Can you just bring that to life with an example for us to understand maybe a scenario where under DISC was showing us this behavior challenge that the person had enlightenment around, but then we were able to really see the why and get to the why to be able to make some shifts. Can you share a little bit? Yeah. So there's a lot of examples coming to mind. I think the biggest one is a more recent example. So I had a leader who had taken on a new position. So she was pretty new to the position, not new to leadership, but new to the position. And so she was trying to understand her team. And she had one guy on her team that was just Every time they would have a one-on-one and she would talk about, okay, here's where I need you to be. Here's the projects you're working on. She would kind of go through it methodically. He would come at her. Like he was a little bit aggressive, sometimes sometimes assertive, but mostly aggressive. And she's like, I don't know what's going on with him. I think it's because I'm a woman leader. You know, she had made up all these scenarios in her mind. So we had done the Enneagram with them and he came out as an eight wing seven. So he is the eight is the challenger, sometimes called the protector. The seven is the enthusiast or sometimes called the optimist. They cannot stand to be controlled or boxed in. That is the worst thing on the planet for them. And she happens to be a three. So she's like, oh my gosh, a three, the achiever, the performer. If their boss tells them to do something, they are going to jump and do it. They can't imagine someone not doing that. So in her mind, she's like, what is going on with this? She made it mean I'm a woman leader, so he doesn't respect me. So when we had this conversation with them, I actually facilitated it with the two of them and me. And he was discovering these things about himself where he's like, yeah, I can't stand to be boxed in. I can't stand to be micromanaged. And she's like, oh, gosh, I think I am micromanaging you. But it's because I'm getting this sort of assertive or aggressive response back from you. I'm not getting the details I need. I need details. And he's like, I'm not a detail-oriented person. I can tell you right now, if you give me a project, it will get done and it will get done well. And it will get done on time. And she's like, okay. And I said, well, I think we need to trust what he's saying. And let's see how that plays out. Sure enough, he was all over it. Like, you know, an eight wing seven, an eight especially is not going to let the ball drop on these things, especially if they're in a, you know, average or healthy space. So, you know, I think that was a huge win for them. And there's just this deeper understanding between the two of them, you know? So it's like, oh, wow. Like they both said, this feels like a huge breakthrough. We were both dreading one-on-ones with one another. And now it's like, oh, we get each other. We get this now. We understand where we're both coming from. So I just thought it was a great opportunity for them just to challenge their own belief systems and also all the stories we make up. Oh my gosh. Like the stories she had, the stories he had. He had had a micromanaging boss before. And so all those past experiences were coming up and that's where the aggressiveness was coming. 
from. And so just really interesting to see that dynamic between two humans play out and to see them just like the light bulb clicked. They understood each other. It was great. As someone that works every day to impact meaningful work for people, I think we talk about, you know, how do we leverage strengths and get people on the right seat of the bus? How do we help find roles that energize us so that we're still on fire at the end of the day for our family and all that? A core piece to meaningful work is the people that we interact with and enjoying our time together, enjoying conversations. And I love that illustration that you just shared because that is such a pivot in these people's day. You know, to see somebody on your calendar that you're like, I really don't want to not feel good about this meeting or dread the meeting. No one would. Just like no one sets out to be miserable at work. We all want to contribute and find value and be able to collaborate with people. But having tools that help us to just understand these unique people that we work with and really their key motivators, which I want to talk about motives here in just a minute. But before we do that, I wanted to share, I recently took a newer tool to me called the YOS. And I remember that my key takeaway was it helped me understand how I see my role in the world and why I make the decisions I do. The key takeaway was to find a better way. Like that's why I hey guys, we're going to pivot. We're going to change. Whereas some people maybe on my team or that work around me are like, oh, what are we doing now? You know, we found a better way, more efficient or more impactful to serve the greater good. And that is what drives me, but I'd never been able to put that into words. And so I'm curious, as you've worked with many people alongside the Enneagram and teams and exploring their deeper dive of understanding, what do you think is that consistent phrase you hear? You know, now I feel X or... What is that consistent feedback that you would say that you hear because of the Enneagram? Yeah, I would say the first one is I feel less alone. So when they learn that there are a whole bunch of people in the world that have this same outlook or same worldview or same motivators, nothing's wrong with you, you know, so they feel less alone. I also hear a lot that they don't personalize other people's behaviors now which is a huge win when we can take ourselves out of the personalization of someone's behavior and look at them as the human that they are. That's when we can have real conversations with people. So those are the two, I would say, biggest things. Those are my two personal gains as well. I hear that a lot, that I feel less alone. I feel like there's not something wrong with me. There's lots of people that move through the world like this. Also, the other ways people move through the world aren't wrong. They're just different. Yeah. Love that. So Rachel, talk about how Enneagram ties to motivation. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of psychology to the Enneagram for sure. But so when we look at our deepest fears and our deepest desires, the Enneagram has specific core fears and core desires for each one of the types. And that's what creates our motivator. So to give you an example, you know, I'm a nine. Our core desire is to have peace and harmony. Our core fear is conflict. And so that is sort of our motivator. We will try to move through the world just being as disrupted as possible. And we're always searching for that peace and harmony. So we do avoid conflict. That being said, that's where my work is. So this is not an excuse to say I'm just going to keep behaving that way. Not having conflict was not working well for me in my life. There was something really missing, and that was it. I had to have some of those needed conflicts. I had this story that that was making my life easier to avoid conflict, and the opposite was true. It was making my life so much harder 
So that's what this is about. It's not to stay stuck in that particular motivation. It's to recognize and then say, oh, where is this actually serving me? There are times not having conflict is a beautiful thing for me. And it really does serve me. On the other side of that, where is this not serving me? Where am I not getting the results in my life? Because I keep doing the same pattern of behavior over and over again. So we each have that motivation that comes with it. But I invite people to challenge that motivation. Like, where is it working well in your life and where is it not? And that's where the work is, is to work on where it's not working for you in your particular type. Great. So I'd love to hear team experiences. I know you work with teams to help both individuals and teams alongside Enneagram to build just stronger bonds and more self-awareness and team awareness and enjoy meaningful work together at a higher level. Can you share examples of team experiences, a collective group of people working together around Enneagram? What do some of those experiences look like and maybe share a story or two? Yeah. So it's really interesting to see when people have the same type and they'll be in a group and they're like, whoa, I didn't realize you were a five. Oh, some of that makes sense. But also we're very different in some ways. And so obviously, you know, I mentioned those wings that can add some little nuance to each particular type. But I think there's just this understanding, you know, so it's like, okay, wow, I feel like I actually understand you on a little bit of a deeper level. It also gives them a starting point. So many of us don't know how to start these deeper conversations with people. You know, we're having water cooler talk like, oh, how are the kids? How is the family? How was your vacation? But we're not getting deeper. And that's how we get to that meaningful work that you're talking about is to really deeply understand people. And so I love watching a group of people first learn because I typically will teach them about the Enneagram and kind of teach them what it is, what it's not, the ethics around the Enneagram. Something that I haven't mentioned yet is that there's levels of development within the Enneagram. And that's something I really love because I can meet another nine that's in an average or unhealthy space. They're going to look drastically different than I do in a healthy space. So I think that's an important piece too, to kind of plot yourself on that spectrum of nine different levels of development to say, oh, I'm average, but I want to work my way up to healthy or, oh, unhealthy. How did I get here? You know, just constantly doing that personal reflection, personal observation, I think is really helpful. So I love watching teams just learn first and then they start having discussions. So I'll often have team members go around and I prep them ahead of time for this. I want you to give me four things that you would say, like, here's a prescription to get along with me. Here's four things that I've learned from this that would really help you get the best out of me. And so they go around and share their individual experience. For the leader in the room, it's really powerful for them to be able to know how to tailor their leadership to each individual. You know, we can't do the golden rule anymore as leaders. We can't just treat people the way we want to be treated. We have to treat them the way they need to be treated. That's how we're going to get the best out of them. And so I think that's a really cool opportunity for leaders to be able to hear their people tell them directly, here's what you need to do. Like, here's what will help you get the best out of me. And if they Mm -hmm. didn't know before the Enneagram, they at least have four pieces of information to share. And then they continue to grow and develop over time and they'll learn more. And then like, let's have another conversation about this. I love the side of, you know, the employee owning their part in really helping to bring a more impactful experience at work and own your 50 of it, if you will. So Enneagram can help us really create an individual plan to ask for what we need and what we want from others and from our experience, giving a voice, a a path for someone to be like, this is how I can use my voice and feel good about it, feel comfortable with it. 
I think it's empowering for the employee to feel like they're in the driver's seat. So often they just feel like they're at the mercy of their leader figuring them out. And it's like, that's unrealistic. I mean, leaders, there's no way that they can figure you out and figure out what's going on in your internal world without you sharing some of that. So I love the empowerment piece of it. And then the leader has to take it seriously. You know, like they have to put that into practice because they have now told you exactly what they want and need. And within reason, you're going to have to work towards that. Absolutely. So you mentioned levels of development. I want to go just a little bit deeper on this. So there's nine Enneagram types and then each type has different levels. You had mentioned like healthy and unhealthy, I think. Can you just share, bring that to life a little bit so we can understand it? Yeah. So there's nine different levels of development, three in the healthy space, three in the average space, and then three in the unhealthy space. I have yet to work with somebody in the unhealthy space that would be more a therapy type of client. So oftentimes there are some psychological diagnoses and those types of things in that space. So sometimes people will say they're an unhealthy this number. And I'm like, oh, they're probably just below average, you know, that they're not really unhealthy. Most people live in average. We just call it autopilot space. It's where we are just following the same patterns of behavior that we've always done, even though they're not working for us. We just keep going down that same neural pathway because that's what feels most comfortable to us in the moment. So that's a space that most people live in. Where we want to get people into is that healthy space. And I don't care which number you are. If you are in the healthy space on the Enneagram, you are a wonderful human being to be around. People want to work with you and for you. That's the space we want to work towards. All knowing that life and just the human experience can knock us down and we have to work our way back up to that healthy space. But that's what I love about it is it's kind of like that prescription again where it's like, okay, this is what I have to do. Oh, yeah, that sounds really great. I really want to be in that space. So here's what I got to do to get there because I've done it before. And I think we all know there's times where you're like, gosh, I'm on fire. Like I am unshakable. Nothing can stop me. And that's, you know, oftentimes in that healthy space. We're really average space. It's kind of just like we're moving through the world, but not with a whole lot of fire. So I think the healthy space is where like our soul gets lit on fire and that's where we can really run. So that's the goal is for all of us to just work towards that healthier space. If you had a team of people all in a healthy space, I mean, you'd be unstoppable. I joke that if I had all nine of the types all in a healthy space, all healthy, whole, integrated, we could solve any world problem with the right resources. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's talk about how Enneagram helps communication better between two people on a team or an entire company? Yeah. So each one of the unique types has a unique communication style. So I'll give you an example of one that really came to mind as you asked that question. So I had a type one leader who's the perfectionist or reformer. I prefer the word reformer. So they just always want to make things better. They're like, oh my gosh, there's so much opportunity here to make things better. And they can often come off as sort of preachy or self-righteous. And I had a leader who had that big aha in his communications with the Enneagram. So he was like, oh my gosh, people think that I think I'm better than they are because the way I talk to them sounds a little critical. It also sounds a little self-righteous. It sounds a little preachy versus, hey, like let's come together and have a conversation that's not about what we did wrong let's just talk about how we can make it better, you know? So it was really an interesting thing to see that light bulb switch as we were working through some communication challenges. When he brought that up in the group setting, I want to say it was like 10 to 12 people. The whole team was like, oh yeah, like you are preaching from the pulpit. We hear that loud and clear. 
And we do feel like you often think if you would have done it, it would have been better. You would have done it right. We all did it wrong. And it was like, you could just see his face was like, I get why you'd say that, you know? So he changed the way he communicated and it just felt like they were able to tell him some tough feedback. He was able to receive it and make some changes to make things better. So good. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for helping us to better understand the Enneagram. And, you know, listeners, my challenge for you is, you know, if you maybe have taken the assessment, but you haven't gone deep enough, maybe you still have a little, you know, skepticism about it. Maybe there's opportunity for you to do a little bit more of a deep dive to see really truly who you are and what state of development you're in, right? The other, you know, is if you've never done it, why not give it a shot for yourself? I think there's so much good in, you know, whether we've talked about getting to the why behind what it is that's causing this behavior, why we're acting this way as humans. There's so much there and understanding motivation and communicating better and just really bringing a more harmonious work experience that's meaningful for all. So just really great. Thank you for your time, Rachel. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and then we'll hop over to our lightning round where we'll get to learn a little bit more about the personal side of you. We'll be right back. If you're leading with a people-first mindset, which most likely you are because you're listening to Gut Plus Science, join People Forward Network, the largest community of humans on a shared mission to lead meaningful work. You can find us at peopleforwardnetwork.com or follow People Forward Network on LinkedIn. All right, I'm back with Rachel Pritz on Gut Plus Science, ready to dive into our lightning round. So Rachel, we always ask this one question for our ever-growing recommended reading list that I think has like nearly 400 books on it. So if you could pick one book for our leader listener audience that either is an all-time favorite or a recent read that inspired you, what one book would you pick to share? So it's a a bit of an older book, but it's not one that you probably hear in the leadership space. You know, we share all these leadership books. I've read most of them, it feels like. But one that really stood out to me seven, eight years ago as I was just kind of recognizing something was missing in my own life is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. He's a psychologist, and just some of the things he talked about I'll never forget, one of them being he shared that we're suffering from diseases of unfulfillment. So as he was talking about patients he would see that were physically suffering from something, the root cause for some of them, not all of them, but the root cause was actually unfulfillment. So they weren't doing anything that fulfilled themselves in their lives. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, bam. I see a lot of people move through the world in that way. And I was one of them seven or eight years ago. Mm. So that's why I got into the space is because it was like, wow, I was not fulfilled. Yes. Such an inspiring message there. I hope if there is a listener out there that's like, I just live in unfulfillment right now. We just challenge you to pick up the book or just take a step to make change because life goes so fast and why not work on, you know, living with more fulfillment. So thank you for sharing the big leap. So Rachel, what do you do differently than most people? Well, I followed the herd for a really long time. That's how I got into that space of unfulfillment. And, you know, we use the word burnout. There's all sorts of terms we can throw out there. But I was in a space of real burnout. And I was sort of pushing against my own natural flow, my own natural alignment, pushing against even my own values that I hadn't really clearly defined. So I think I move at a very different pace than other people do. I did the rat race. I mean, I did it for years and years and years, and I was freaking exhausted. So when I sat back and said, why am I so tired? Why do I feel so unfulfilled? Why do I dream of getting in a car accident? No joke. I would dream of getting in a car accident, just a minor one, but I just wanted a break. 
I didn't want to do all the things anymore. It was too much. I wanted more peace in my life. And so I have that now. I sort of move through the world with my own flow. Some days I don't do anything. I don't do a dang thing that's productive, but it's productive to me, right? So it's productive to my own development and my soul and who I am as a human. And then other days I'm highly productive, but it's doing the things that I'm choosing to do. I truly do sort of go with the flow of the river, which is my own river that I created, and I don't paddle against it anymore. And that is such a beautiful space to be in. I still see so many people paddling against it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, like they're going to have to discover that one on their own. But it's such a beautiful space to just sort of flow with the river, swim off to the bank when you need to, take a rest, and then jump back in, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just such a different way of living than I was living seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Such a beautiful thing. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. It's very inspiring as well. What is the simplest truth that you can succinctly put in words? Do more of what works for you and do less of what doesn't. So good. Love it. And I know, Rachel, you have a number of ways that people can connect with you and really tap into the inspiration and the gifts that you have to share with the world. I'd love for you to mention whichever ones you'd like to share because I I have a feeling that some people want to connect, whether that is, hey, let's connect on LinkedIn or let's go a little further and listen to you on your podcast. Can you just share with the ways that people can stay in touch or get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Well, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn pretty much every day. I love LinkedIn. I think it's a great community. I've met so many amazing people there. So even if it's just like, hey, I want to just have a quick little coffee chat or a quick phone call or whatever that is, I love having those conversations. We have some amazing people in this space or people that are interested in this space. I love having those. So LinkedIn, I'm always paying attention to the inbox there. You can also just go to my website, rachelfritz.com, and you can connect with me for a phone call and just a little meet and greet. So I'm not a salesperson. I think that's something I do differently as well. I just let the right people come to me and it seems to have worked out just fine over the past four years. So that's not what the conversation would be. It would be a genuine conversation about whatever you want to bring to the table. And I love having those. That makes me feel connected as someone that works from home often. Here's my truth you can act on with Rachel Pritz. Number one, tests or assessments can point us in the right direction, but might not be fully true. We have to research and discern the reports that we get from these assessments. Rachel shared a great story about her journey at the beginning being skeptical and really going to find at a deeper level really who she truly was and which profile of the nine on the Enneagram really spoke to her. So I think it's just such a great takeaway to spend time going deeper in the reports we get from tests and assessments and not just take the first initial report as the truth. Number two, Enneagram helps us identify our wants and our fears and not only know these for ourselves, but for others to better understand inner drive and our talk track as humans and our talk track as individuals. Enneagram helps us get to deeper conversations with those we work with, allowing us to go from surface level to more depth for understanding of each other and just having conversations that are just much more fulfilling. And number four, Enneagram can help us create an individual plan to ask for what we want and what we need. Enneagram as a tool to help people have a voice and use it. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.